Welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Tuesday, May 14th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Steve Bullock is officially running, the importance of the Senate in 2020 and beyond, and Warren gives Fox News a hard pass in a Twitter thread for the ages. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. In a video this morning, Montana Governor Steve Bullock announced that he is indeed running for president. Now, we kind of guessed this would happen after he posted a teaser video yesterday saying he would soon have a big announcement. By the way, by my count, this brings the field of major candidates to 23. In his announcement video, which is titled Fair Shot, Bullock starts by showing historical scenes of Butte, Montana in the prime mining years in the early 1900s. Around that time, Butte gained the nickname the richest hill on earth due to its tremendous production of copper and silver. And as Bullock explains, the mining companies bought politicians, exploited workers, and busted up unions every chance they got. He also points out that the toxic waste they left behind from all that mining is still there today. Bullock's main point is that the influence of corporations on the government led his home state to a disaster that hurt the land, the people, and broke the political system. And he has a very interesting professional history in dealing with that. We'll get to that in a moment. First, let's listen to the video starting part of the way in after he has introduced that history lesson. Today we see evidence of a corrupt system all across America. A government that serves campaign money, not the people. After the Citizens United decision, a lot of folks said game over. But as Attorney General, I refuse to give up without a fight. Every single state in the union abandoned its own corporate spending regulations after Citizens United. Except for one. Except for Montana. Attorney General Steve Bullock has personally fought to keep Montana's elections laws the way they are. And when we lost, I found another way. The Honorable Steve Bullock, governor of the great state of Montana. As a Democrat governor of a state that Trump won by 20 points, I don't have the luxury of just talking to people who agree with me. You are a Democratic governor in that state who's pro-choice, you're for marriage equality, you've expanded Medicaid, you've expanded spending on education, you've protected the environment from corporate interests. I go all across our state's 147,000 square miles and look for common ground to get things done. That's how I was able to bring Democrats and Republicans together to fight dark money and pass one of the strongest campaign finance laws in the country. The bill is a way to prevent dark money groups from controlling an election. And if we can kick the Koch brothers out of Montana, we sure as hell could kick them out of every place in the country. Look, to be honest, I never thought I'd be running for president. Raised by a single mom, we struggled just to get by. I only knew there was a governor's house in town because I delivered newspapers to it. Now my wife, Lisa, and I are raising our kids in that same house. I believe in an America where every child has a fair shot to do better than their parents. But we all know that that kind of opportunity no longer exists for most people. For far too many, it never has. That's why we need to defeat Donald Trump in 2020 and defeat the corrupt system that lets campaign money drown out the people's voice so we can finally make good on the promise of a fair shot for everyone. This is the fight of our time. It's been the fight of my career. I'm Steve Bullock, and I'm running for president. With your help, we will take our democracy back.
Now, before we go any further, I need to run down a history lesson of my own. It's about Citizens United, the Supreme Court decision Bullock mentions, and which every Democratic candidate has mentioned at one point or another. All right. In 2008, a corporation called Citizens United wanted to air a documentary they had created that was critical of Hillary Clinton. The attempt to air their film was prevented under then-current law because it was within 60 days of an election. The law was part of the McCain-Feingold Act of 2002, which had passed with bipartisan support, and that law was supposed to keep elections fair and transparent and keep big-money interests under control. All right, so Citizens United decided to sue the Federal Election Commission because they couldn't air their film. This took a few years to work its way through the system, but in 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a 5-4 decision in favor of Citizens United. The Supreme Court majority decided that the First Amendment of the Constitution protects corporations as well as individuals, and that corporations had a right to free speech, including political speech, including political spending. This was, and still is, seen as a total disaster by many. In his dissent, which he read in full from the bench, Justice John Paul Stevens said in part, quote, A democracy cannot function effectively when its constituent members believe laws are being bought and sold, end quote. This is precisely what led to proposals like the democracy dollars thing that Kirsten Gillibrand announced earlier this month, and which I covered on this very show on Wednesday, May 1st. Gillibrand's proposal is one of several that would attempt to work around the Citizens United decision by creating a way to publicly fund elections. Okay, end of history lesson, mostly. Now, the reason this is super important to Steve Bullock is that, as we hear in the video, he was the Attorney General of Montana at the time, and he decided to fight the Citizens United ruling. Now, because of all that crap with the mining companies, Montanans passed a state law way back in 1912 called the Corrupt Practices Act. That law prevented corporations from spending money on electioneering. And for very good reason, because essentially the mining companies have been buying elections for decades. When a trio of Montana-based corporations challenged Montana's Corrupt Practices Act, Bullock, who was AG, fought back. The corporations argued that the U.S. Supreme Court decision basically nullified the Montana law, and Bullock disagreed. Bullock fought the case hard, and he won in the Montana Supreme Court, effectively preserving Montana's special status preventing corporate spending in elections via its own Corrupt Practices Act. And then, predictably, the trio of corporations that lost in Montana took the matter to the U.S. Supreme Court, which overturned the Montana Supreme Court and reaffirmed the original Citizens United decision. And when that happened, Bullock responded. I want to read a big chunk of what he said about that back in 2012. Quote, It is a sad day for our democracy and for those of us who still want to believe that the U.S. Supreme Court is anything more than another political body in Washington, D.C. I am very disappointed in what the U.S. Supreme Court's decision means for state and local elections in Montana and for our entire nation. One hundred years ago, Montanans passed an initiative to protect democracy, to give everyday people a voice that would no longer be silenced by a sea of corporate money. Their wisdom and the Corrupt Practices Act of 1912 have served Montana well for over a century and could have provided the court with the opportunity to revisit some of the fundamental fallacies underlying the Citizens United decision. 
History will show that it was Montanans and the Montana Supreme Court that understood the heart of this issue and stood on the side of we the people. End quote. All right, so I have spent the majority of this segment talking about Citizens United, but that's not the only thing that is notable about Steve Bullock. As he mentions pretty much every time he talks, he is a Democrat who is the governor of an otherwise red state, and he actually gets along with his Republican colleagues. Reading from the Washington Post here, quote, He has prepared a campaign focused on his record of winning over Republican-leaning voters and lawmakers in the Mountain West with liberal policy ideas, a pattern he says will allow him to argue he is one of the most electable Democrats in a packed field. In Montana, Bullock convinced a Republican-dominated legislature to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act and put new limits on anonymous money in politics while successfully pushing a ballot initiative to raise the minimum wage and index it for inflation, end quote. And here's one more bit from the Washington Post, this time quoting Bullock himself. Quote, get your head around this. 20% of the folks that voted for me also voted for Trump, he said in a 2018 visit to Johnston, Iowa. To get elected and to serve in government, I have to go to a lot of places where there are not a lot of Democrats in sight. And I have to talk to people. I have to listen to people. End quote. Okay, so there are two more things I want to mention about Bullock. First is that Chuck Schumer tried to get Bullock to run for Senate in 2020 in Montana in an attempt to flip a Senate seat there. Bullock declined, and in the next segment we will talk a lot more about that. The second thing is that, like all the candidates lately, I went and looked at Bullock's YouTube page to see if he had any other videos, and he does. He has a version of his announcement video with Spanish subtitles, and he also has a video titled My Biggest Supporters, featuring his kids writing a pros and cons list about what it would be like for their father to run for president. It is corny, but it's also kind of adorable. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Next up, I want to discuss a media narrative that has emerged around the 2020 election. And that narrative is, hey, everybody, what about the 2020 Senate races? Now, I know you might be saying this is a podcast about the primaries, like the presidential primaries, not the Senate. And it is. It definitely is. But this is an issue that has actually crossed over for a ton of the presidential primary candidates. It's an active discussion for many of them, given that more than 20 major candidates are running for an office that only one of them will win. And even getting that is tough to do. 
Okay, we'll get back to that in a minute. So, here's a situation. The U.S. Senate contains 100 total members because of the Constitution and how many states there are. Of those, today, 53 are Republicans, 45 are Democrats, and 2 are Independents. The Independents are Angus King of Maine and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who both caucus with the Democrats, so functionally speaking, you can kinda mostly count them as Democrats. So basically, you got 53 Republicans and 47 Democrats-ish. You need 51 votes to get a simple majority in the Senate, and that's mostly what counts these days because of recent rule changes that discourage bipartisanship. Note that the vice president can always step in to break a tie if you have a 50-50 vote. So here's the problem. If Democrats win the 2020 election for president, and we end up with a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Republican Senate, that would be a very bad situation for Democrats. The Senate is where lots of vital stuff happens. For example, approving judges and Supreme Court justices. Without control of that chamber, a Democratic president would be unable to do almost anything that the party currently wants to do, like anything having to do with Medicare or appointing judges. So this race is not just about the presidency. It's also about winning the Senate. If you don't have both, you can't get much done. Now, in the 2020 Senate elections, Democrats are defending 12 seats. Republicans are defending 22. These numbers are going to change a little bit based on special elections and appointments and vacancies and stuff like that, but still, that is the basic current picture. There are two possible targets Democrats might want to hit. The first would be to gain a Senate majority even if they lose the presidency. So if President Trump gets a second term, if Democrats somehow pick up four Senate seats, that gives them 51 reliable votes which means that, assuming they actually vote together, the vice president would not have a tie to break. Essentially, Democrats could block Trump in the same way that Democrats worry Republicans could block a Democratic president. The other desirable outcome for Democrats would be to pick up three seats, which would be necessary if they also held the presidency, because you would then have effectively a 50-50 Senate and your Democratic vice president would go in there and break ties all the time. Okay, got that? So Democrats want to successfully defend every seat they've got, and they want to flip either three or four Republican Senate seats to the Democratic side. That is hard to do. It is deeply unclear whether that is even possible at this stage. But if it doesn't get done, this election might not matter all that much. So here's where it gets kind of saucy. In a tweet, Brian Tyler Cohen of Occupy Democrats wrote the following. Quote, Beto is polling at 2%. He could beat Cornyn in Texas. Hickenlooper is polling at 1%. He could beat Gardner in Colorado. Bullock is polling at 0%. He could beat Danes in Montana. Stacey Abrams isn't even running. She could beat Purdue in Georgia. We need the Senate in 2020. I know the presidency is shiny, but the fact that quality candidates from red states are foregoing Senate runs is an issue. That's not to say having good candidates in the presidential race isn't important, but we need established Democrats putting Republicans on the offensive and spending their money, end quote. The thread actually continues on for a little while, but that is the gist of it. Add to that a long piece in New York Magazine titled, 2021 could be a nightmare for Democrats even if Trump loses. 
In that article, Eric Levitz gets into the detailed math around which particular Senate seats are even theoretically winnable in this election. To make a very long and complex story short, the odds are very poor for Democrats in the 2020 Senate race given the current electoral map. It would take something unprecedented for Democrats to win all the seats they need. But surprise, surprise, here's where another article, again from New York Magazine, suggests what that might be. In an article titled, Democrats May Need a Big Presidential Win to Flip the Senate in 2020, Ed Kilgore points out that the precedent was already set in 2016. Huh. All right, quote, The conventional wisdom in some circles is that Democratic Senate hopes have been betrayed by potentially strong candidates, e.g. Texas's Beto O'Rourke, Montana's Steve Bullock, and Georgia's Stacey Abrams, selfishly deciding to pursue other offices and other goals. Aside from how you feel about the proposition that these people owe the Democratic Party a year or so of tough, miserable campaign work, and then six years in a job they may not even want, the candidate-driven look at the 2020 Senate races may be missing something more fundamental. In the last presidential election year, split-ticket voting in Senate races basically vanished. That's right, in 2016, all 34 races were won by the party that won the state in question in the presidential contest. That's never happened before. End quote. So that is the nut of it. If Democrats can focus on winning the presidential vote in red states, they can flip the Senate seats in those red states, assuming the 2016 thing happens again. That's a big assumption, but still. The key red state contests we're looking at are in Arizona, Georgia, and North Carolina. If you add in Colorado and Maine, there might just be a chance of winning this whole thing. It's a slim chance, I'm not going to lie to you, but at least it is something. And last up today, this morning, Elizabeth Warren took to Twitter to give a barn burner of a tweet storm. And who is her target? It is Fox News. So remember that story I did last week about how Fox News town halls are like the new hotness for Democratic primary candidates? Well, Warren ain't having none of that. Like, this is some Khaleesi-level burn-it-down stuff right here. Allow me to quote her series of tweets in full. Buckle up, folks, because this is long and it is the heat. Quote, I love town halls. I've done more than 70 since January, and I'm glad to have a television audience be part of them. Fox News has invited me to do a town hall, but I'm turning them down, and here's why. Fox News is a hate-for-profit racket that gives a megaphone to racists and conspiracists. It's designed to turn us against each other, risking life-and-death consequences to provide cover for the corruption that is rotting our government and hollowing out our middle class. Hate-for-profit works only if there is profit, so Fox News balances a mix of bigotry, racism, and outright lies with enough legit journalism to make the claim to advertisers that it is a reputable news outlet. It's all about dragging in ad money. Big ad money. But Fox News is struggling as more and more advertisers pull out of their hate-filled space. A Democratic town hall gives the Fox News sales team a way to tell potential sponsors it's safe to buy ads on Fox. No harm to their brand or reputation. Spoiler, it's not. Here's one place we can fight back. I won't ask millions of Democratic primary voters to tune into an outlet that profits from racism and hate in order to see our candidates, especially when Fox will make even more money adding our valuable audience to their ratings numbers. 
I'm running a campaign to reach all Americans. I take questions from the press and voters everywhere I go. I've already held town halls in 17 states and Puerto Rico, including West Virginia, Ohio, Georgia, Utah, Tennessee, Texas, Colorado, Mississippi, and Alabama. I've done 57 media avails and 131 interviews, taking over 1,100 questions from press just since January. Fox News is welcome to come to my events just like any other outlet, but a Fox News town hall adds money to the hate-for-profit machine, to which I say, hard pass. End quote. And that's it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. Find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. So, I want to sign off with one more moment in American history. On this day in 1804, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark set off from St. Louis on their way to the Pacific Ocean. Thomas Jefferson was kind of hoping they would find woolly mammoths out there in the West somewhere, and that part didn't work out. But they did make it to the coast, and they did make it back to St. Louis two and a half years later. Now that is a long walk. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Tomorrow.